1: Mentally Yours, from Ellen and Yvette, on your mental health you surely won't regret. It's Mentally, 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 yours. mentally Yours, Mentally Yours, Mentally Yours. Hi everyone and welcome to Mentally Yours, metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. I'm Yvette and this week I'm chatting to Victoria Maxwell. She's a speaker, performer, and writer from Canada. We're going to be chatting to her about bipolar disorder, sharing her story, and spirituality.
0: So I grew up in a family that had uh, mental illness in the family. Uh, my dad had um, undiagnosed uh, panic attacks and anxiety, and probably uh, depression. Uh, so I was affected that way. And that really did affect um, the living situation and obviously genetics. And then um, I started to just really feel uh, with the situation at home with the sort of, out of all the dysfunction and the, I experienced there was, I was witnessing a lot of rage and there was trauma that my anxiety was probably the first that started to pop up.
1: Do you mind telling us a bit more about your mum? Is that all right? What was she diagnosed
0: with? Yes. So she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, uh, bipolar disorder one. Um, So she had lots of manic episodes. She made incredible meals when she was manic, Uh, but she also experienced Devastating depressions. Um, And I was diagnosed with bipolar one, but I also had the extra benefit and feature of psychotic features. Um, So when I first had my first uh, psychotic episode, my parents had no experience with that. Um, So they really were very frightened and didn't have any idea what I was going through at all or what they needed to do except to rush me to the hospital.
1: I know this might be a bit difficult, but can you remember sort of roughly what happened during that time? Was there sort of particular triggers or was it just sort of something that you think was kind of inevitable?
0: A bit of both, actually. Um, I think it was inevitable because of my family situation, the unrecognized trauma that I was dealing with. Um, I had gone into therapy because I had been progressively feeling more and more depressed sort of when I got into university. And when I graduated, it was escalating. Um, I dealt with uh, and was dealing with disordered eating, so binge eating and uh, really restrictive eating, and then over exercising. And I really thought that therapy would be sort of, I could find that nugget, you know, that one thing that would crack open that nugget, and then I would somehow find peace. It didn't work. I more or less became a really insightful, depressed person. (laughs) And um, so, Eventually, um, what happened was that I exhausted all solutions I could think of, and I moved into a spiritual path. And so I went into a meditation retreat for about three days, I was really unprepared. Um, The teachers, I don't think were all that informed about um, mental illness or depression or anxiety. And I just went into a really, really deep state. It was a mantra, sort of a mantra self inquiry based um, uh, meditation. And so I went into a really extreme altered state, uh, sort of a wide consciousness. And so in the beginning, it felt really expansive and blissful. And I was just sort of at one with everything. And I could see the interconnections. And um, I could see that sort of my identity, my ego had dissolved. And uh, there was no separation between me and the rest of the world, which is, you know, for me, it was a really uh, spiritual awakening. And then it escalated into uh, really both a spiritual emergency and psychosis. So I don't know if some listeners might be familiar with a Kundalini awakening. So there's lots of energy at the bottom of the spine and it just rushes up, um, the chakra system and it more or less just, um, blows out any issues that you haven't dealt with. And I had a lot of issues and I had a lot of issues I hadn't dealt with. (laughs) And, uh, so it, I, my, I just didn't have a strong enough container to, uh, hold that experience and to stay grounded and, because of that, I think it really catapulted me into more of a, what, uh, the medical system would call a traditional, uh, psychotic experience. And then I went, uh, home to my parents. I somehow managed to drive home and my parents obviously saw something was wrong when they were trying to have a conversation with me and, um, rushed me to the hospital. And I was, um, involuntarily, uh, committed, uh, and stayed there for probably about six weeks until I was stabilized.
1: I'm really glad you brought up, um, about this, the spiritual awakening or the spiritual experience you had, because, um, you wrote about this, uh, in the book of hope, the mm-hmm. collection of, of stories that Johnny Benjamin put together. Um, and it really sort of got me wondering sort of if other people mm-hmm. had experienced this sort of thing, but also what your thoughts on it are now. Um, but also, if you could tell us a bit more how you sort of, I suppose, married the two things in terms of I- accepting it, but also accepting that you had a mental illness, if that makes sense.
0: It totally makes sense. And that was probably my biggest struggle. Um, and I'm still making sense of it, to be perfectly frank. Um So when I was initially diagnosed, I felt like I was being given this choice of, okay, so you either get to be crazy or you get to keep your spiritual experience. And I don't know about you, but, you know, I'd rather be on a spiritual path than being called crazy. And so I uh, really resisted uh, any kind of way that doctors or the medical system was going to sort of categorize my experience as pathological. And so I, and, but because of that, I was still the, there's a kindling effect sometimes when you have psychosis. And so if it's left untreated um, it can keep happening more frequently. And so that's what happened. And so I was in and out of the hospital and uh, they sometimes would start with uh, really spiritual experience and other times it would just be sort of florid psychosis. So, you know, i'd see something like um orange shoes and i would think the devil was coming or something um so it wasn't until my very last psychiatrist or one of my uh i guess my favorite one is actually what i should say um that he really helped guide me that i could hold both having a mental illness and that wouldn't negate the spiritual experience I had. And that was the first time someone from the medical profession had really acknowledged that. And, and it was even before that, it was a nurse who, who really asked what my experience was because no one asked me why I wasn't accepting the illness, why I didn't want to take the medication. No one asked me about my experience in psychosis. I know at the time that they probably assumed that, you know, it would be a trigger and it could, you know, I could decompensate or whatever they call it. Um, And this one nurse talked to me just like we're having a conversation now and just asked, you know, why I didn't want to take the medication, what happened. And I told her, and she just said this one thing and I can remember it like this was 30 years ago. And I can remember it like it was, it happened yesterday afternoon and she said, when you touch that limitless part of yourself, it can be overwhelming. And it was in that, in that just a one empathetic sentence that I just thought she gets something. She, I hate this phrase, but she sees me, right? She, she, she hears me and she sees me. And so I started to trust that one person. And from there, she referred me to this doctor and, um, I don't know if I've answered your question of how I've reconciled it now, but that's how I began to accept the the illness and became proactive um, more in my recovery then. Um, and and now, um, I I'm understanding it a little better. Um, I don't know if you have a maybe a further follow up question after I've said all that. <laughs>
1: I suppose my follow-up question is is really, um, I hope you don't mind me asking, but so it sounds like you, you did take the advice and I know you've sort of gone into therapy, um, but do you mind me asking about medication? Because when you were talking about that, one thing that really sort of struck me is if you have had sort of very sort of powerful um, spiritual experiences, I can, I can understand why you then might not want to take medication.
0: I like talking about it actually, because I think – It's a really um, painful issue for a lot of people, um, particularly if they're creative, too. I mean, medication is such a a um, potent and loaded um, subject, and psychiatric medication in particular, right? Um, And so I struggled for a long time. Um, Part of it was that I still equated it with being weak. Uh, And that was sort of aside from the spiritual experiences that I had, but I really felt like, well, I don't want to take medication that's going to erase these spiritual opportunities or or separate me from something that's so intrinsic to who I feel I am. And what I found was that, and this was particularly true with my creativity, which is still which is another intrinsic part of me, and to some degree it's it's a it, it's it runs pal- parallel to my spirituality um, is that what I found was that when I took the right medication and the right dosage of medication and had the least side effects and the most efficacy, I was more stable and I was able to be uh, more creative, and I was able to explore my spirituality in a much, much healthier way. So, I mean, I'd love to not be on medication just because I think it's, you know, good for a body not to be on medication if you don't need it. But my body needs it right now, and that's that's the compassion I try to have for for myself and for my system. That I know what happens when I don't take medication. And I can do it for a moral, ethical, bullheaded reason, if that makes sense, to say, you know, I'm going to do this sort of like that Protestant work ethic. I'm going to, you know, do it on my own no matter what. And I wouldn't expect myself to uh, heal uh, and recover from mental illness without the support of my friends or my social network. So why would I not want to go through recovery without the support of medicine. And when I call it medicine, it sort of feels like a little easier than, uh, it makes the medicine go down a little bit easier, pardon the pun, um, than medication. And so I experimented, I experimented reducing meds and this was with my psychiatrist with sort of in partnership with my psychiatrist, tried going off some, but each time I would dive deeper into, um, a depression. And I wrote a a blog about this, sorry, a blog post about this. And it was about, um, spirituality and medication. And I got a lot of comments about this, that people are, are concerned about taking medication. And I, and I, and I'm not pro medication, but I'm pro whatever it is you need to, uh, do in order to have a really vibrant quality of life. Um, and if that includes medication, uh, there's no shame in that, or at least there shouldn't be. And I I do remember uh, a psychiatrist early on sort of comparing taking insulin uh, to taking psychiatric medication. And I was really angry with him because I said, it is not the same as taking insulin for diabetes. People, uh, you know, are almost, you know, there's sort of like a, uh, people understand that, okay, that's, that's necessary. We can measure insulin, blood sugar level. We, you know, it's people are in awe when you have to take and you know have prick your, um, prick your finger with the needle. But psychiatric medication has a whole other. You tell somebody you're on an antipsychotic, on a date, that is not something that you want to do on the in the starting gate, <laughs> and and you know, and so I I have a lot of empathy for people who are struggling about that. Um, and my best suggestion, and and this was really. Um, uh, kudos and credit to my dad, is he saw that when I was on medication, I was still um, going through these, what he'd call crying jags. So these um, depressions and things like that. And he said, this is not as good as it gets. And so he really helped me advocate for the right kind of medication, the combination and the right amount, so that I I wasn't compromised by it um cognitively and um for some people that's really a hard combination to find but I, I eventually did find it and for me i can see it it's like it's it's created the foundation um and a stable one so that i'm able to do all the, this other discovery work and creative work and spiritual work
2: mm.
1: and i really agree with you it's sort of one of the tools isn't it It's sort of not the whole tool no exactly I love that you brought up creati- creativity as well, because to be honest, when I was um, thinking about sort of our chat beforehand, and and I'd read about you know what you'd written about um, spirituality, I thought, well, I can't personally relate to the spiritual side, but I definitely relate to the the creativity side. You know, the fear around, you know, will I not be able to write as much or as well? Will you know? Will I not have these bursts of creativity? Um, And also for me, there was a big fear around basically, will it change me as a person, you you know, will my whole personality change? Um, And I suppose to a small degree, maybe it has because hopefully I'm sort of less impulsive or, you know, but generally it has been for the better, as you've said, you know, overall I've been able to do sort of more writing and have a, just generally a more even life rather than go on these horrific sort of ups and downs and, Potentially ends up, you know, in hospital for time, and, and then that's just really disrupting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, that that does it's just, it's just inconvenient. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's just inconvenient, isn't it? If you're sort of yeah. yeah, it
0: is a bit inconvenient. Yeah, they, you know, it's it's a bit mm. difficult to continue writing that chap book chapter, you know, and and that's the thing is that what I uh, look back on is that when I wasn't taking medication or when I wasn't well, and I did dive into my creativity, I, you know, it. Uh, volumes of poetry volumes of you know writing that was really really bad it <laughs> yeah, wasn't good same. at all you know yeah. and so i and then when i'm on you know like i said the right medication then i am it, it's more sustainable it's better quality i have the energy to do it um and uh, i cognitively i'm clearer and uh, so that's helpful. Now, if if in the future I can um, reduce medication, bonus, awesome. Uh, if I can't, bonus, awesome. It, it It's sort of become less and less of an issue uh, for me. And I really relate to that idea of um, changing personality because I thought, well, what is it adding to me or what is it taking away or something like that? And what I found was that uh, I use this metaphor that When I wasn't, um, and I wouldn't say when I wasn't taking medication, because like you said, medication is like uh, one leg of a stool. Uh, You know, there's medication, there's social supports, there's um, therapy. Maybe it's a four-legged stool. And then there's all these wellness tools, right? Things that I do for myself, sleep and exercise. Um, But I found that with all those things, And particularly with the medication, it it was like I had been, you know, sleeping in a wet sleeping uh, bag uh, in the dark or, you know, under a tree in the cold. And then it sort of just lifted off the sleeping bag. And so I was in the sun and I was drying off. And so I wasn't different. I was just myself, but better. Yeah, 100%. I mean, my my mum
1: said after I'd sort of had antidepressants that they brought her back, no, that they brought me back to her, if that makes sense. So it wasn't that they'd changed my personality. It's sort of like they'd restored me. Um, Yeah. Um, So I'd really love to hear um, about your work because we've talked a lot about uh, what you've been through and we've sort of, in terms of your story, we've kind of left you at that time when you were. in a mental health unit, but tell us about sort of your journey, your journey from there um, to what you do now, um, giving talks and workshops and um, the writing that you do.
0: Thanks. I don't get to talk about it a lot, actually. Um, so what I do mainly um, as a career is uh, perform uh, show when one person shows about my experience, um, uh, with bipolar disorder, anxiety and psychosis and recovery. Uh, And so I do it at conferences and community events. And uh, I did it at some festivals as well. And, um, and it's sort of full circle, because I was an actor before I was hit with bipolar disorder. So it's quite a nice sort of um, full circle moment for me. And it started just by happenstance. I had been able to get a um, an office job and I was also doing, I'm not sure what um, it's called in the UK, but um, extras or, uh, you know, uh, sort of I was background yes. actors yeah it's yeah. extras so, as well yeah <laughs> yeah that's what yeah. I thought I thought that there was a, a, a Ricky Gervais um TV yep. series yeah Extras, and it was actually embarrassingly on the mark <laughs> um and uh and I met this gentleman there when I was doing some work and he told me that um uh I don't know how we got into the conversation that people can make a living being a professional speaker. And I had no idea. I thought, you know, there's like the only professional speaker I knew was like Tony Robbins in the US, right? With the big white teeth and the huge smile and stuff and the creepy (laughs) smile, to be honest. (laughs) And um, um, so, anyway, he belonged to this organization, uh, this association for speakers, and I joined. And I had not uh, written a play at that time. And then I saw a flyer for a a disability arts festival and I, uh, submitted an application and I said that I had a a book and that I, um, would love to read excerpts about it, about my experience. And they said, yes, but I didn't have a book and I didn't have any excerpts. (laughs) So I really like scrambled and just started writing. And, um, performed it uh, at the festival. And then there were other people from other festivals who were there who invited me to other festivals and asked if it was a full show. And so I developed that small little excerpts of um, dramatic reading into a full um, sort of 50 minute show. And then when I went to this speakers organization, found out, oh, there's a way you can actually monetize, for lack of a better word a service like that and there was a a bit of a demand back then this was like in 2001 2002 so it's nowhere near like it was before uh it is now in terms of how mental illness is like on the radar almost everywhere um but there was a hunger for it there were, I was sort of represented sort of the um garden variety mental health stuff. Like there was, it was usually just either sensationalized examples of uh, mental illness uh, or celebrities. And so it grew from there. Um, And it was really through word of mouth. So I'd perform one of my shows somewhere. And then someone in the audience who organized a conference somewhere else saw me and contacted me to see if I could do it there. And it just started to snowball. And um I would have never anticipated that. Um, I've been so fortunate. I, I traveled across the States for about 10 years um, working. I was able to go over to the, the UK once to New Zealand doing this. Um, and so I've been really, really um, just feel incredible gratitude to be able to be well well enough to do it, and to be able to do something such as performing, which I love. And so I, I continue to to do that. And, um, and within that, uh, uh, psychology today, uh, contacted me for an interview. And then through that, I got, um, an opportunity to uh, blog for them. So I've been blogging for them for about 12 years and, uh, I do some peer research as well.
1: I think it's fantastic sort of that you've, you're sort of raising awareness like that. And, um, obviously I've watched some of your clips online, um, and they're very funny and sort of very engaging. But I guess my main question, when I watch them and after thinking this is brilliant and funny, I just thought, yeah, but what do you do when actually you're struggling with your mental health and you're booked in somewhere?
0: Oh yes, 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 yes. And that has happened uh, several more than several times. Um, it's it, in some ways it's a bit it's actually healthy for me because I don't know about you. But if I don't have anything planned at all, uh, and I'm depressed because I have more depression than mania, usually, I can get into more serious trouble. And so having to be in front of people doing the performance really asks me to show up in any way or form. And because, I, because I'm because i really familiar with all of it, it's not... Uh, it's not too onerous or it doesn't take um, too much out of me. And, and also there's a, there's a bit of a, a sense of um, family in a way when I'm doing it, because people that are watching um i know there's a shared experience or a shared understanding even if it's a professional audience and so i don't feel like i have to pretend very often so there's sometimes when i actually talk about how i'm feeling um and that that it's actually really helpful for me to to be able to present and share my story because it's a form of support really because even though it's a one person show it's still a a two way conversation between the audience and myself the audience just happens to be Quiet, except hopefully when they laugh. <laughs> and so,
1: yeah. The thing that I've found the past year, I've gone on about it quite a bit in the podcast, so I won't dwell on it. But having a dog has sort of maybe have to get up on days like that, the worst days, and also, so my, my dog and my work. It, yeah, I just, yeah, I, I mean, I've there's been days when I've been really, really angry at my dog for making me have to get up. <laughs>
0: No, really, yes, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, I know. It's like, I, I, it's like resenting, right? Just saying, Yeah, Andy, you, can't you take yourself for a walk yourself? And she's so Damn cute, it.
1: she's like the, the cutest little fluff ball, <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, but it is no, it's it is good to have these things sort of planned in, whether it's like a work thing, or I think maybe meeting up with friends for a coffee or something, I think that can help. Yeah and I'd love to know what kind of feedback you've had from the performances what's the most sort of memorable feedback that you've had
0: Um I've had I've had a lot of um very um thoughtful feedback and really meaningful feedback and I, I do some uh shows virtually which I didn't know how it would translate especially when I'm trying to like you know throw a punchline out there and you know don't hear the laughter um and, but it I get um I think what's most meaningful now is that I do work for uh, um, quite a few corporations or companies that aren't a healthcare audience. There aren't healthcare professionals or people that, um, you know, it's not a, a mental health nonprofit organization. And the, the, gratitude and how people say you've just told my story, or now I understand my, my son better, or I feel like I can help my spouse more. Um, It's way more meaningful to me. And it's also because it feels far more frightening to perform for an audience that I don't know how much mental health information they have, or even, if they want to hear it, really, and so when I get that feedback that it's they they relate, and I, I have to remember that it's one in five, and really I think now with COVID, it's one in three of us have some kind of mental health struggle, um, and yeah, so I, I it, the the most meaningful has really been um, uh, with these more corporate audiences where I think they're really straight laced, and you know. Um, you know, very conservative and stuff. And they're just like gushing about how they relate and how thankful they are. And they, they uh, really changed their mind or something around what they thought mental illness was all about. So, and especially when people say it's given them hope to hang on, because I know I still have been in those, you know, over the last year in those places where it doesn't seem like there's, you know it seems like this is it you know and there's a hopelessness and it's and it's really been being friends that have helped me um know that it it always changes it always gets better um there's always a transformation I just don't know when and I just can't see it right now
1: um I guess that leads me on to my final question or we I mean we could leave it there because that's really good advice but Um, what would you say to anyone struggling um, with their bipolar disorder
0: at the moment? I would, if they haven't reached out for help, but they think that they need help to please reach out for help. And that can be just talking to a friend and saying, I think something's going on and I, I don't quite feel right. Um, And that, that there can be an incredible relief by just sharing it. Um, And I think the other thing is that um, never underestimate where you can go. uh, Because with bipolar disorder, you may find that there are things that open up for you that you didn't anticipate because you have the illness or the condition or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think if you can help, if you can remain open to that possibility, um, even when you're sort of in the initial stages of learning how to manage it and all that stuff, the, that first part where you're learning how to manage it and having experience, all that will be a benefit to you when you move forward and further into the future. um, And you don't know, you may not be an advocate, but you'll be giving in other ways that you will not be able to give because you have had the experience of mental illness. That's probably what I'd say.
1: (laughs) So this is goodbye from Mentally Yours. So go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores from Mentally Mentally, if you've been affected by any of the issues we've been chatting about today please give the samaritans a ring on 116 123 if you've enjoyed this episode please leave us a review and subscribe to our channel and perhaps even go back and listen to some old episodes we have many of them so you can get in contact with us we have a lovely Facebook group which is called Mentally Yours and we're also on Twitter at Mentally YRS. See you next week.